0: We had an individual, just to give a, a specific case where an individual had been trying to apply for the TTC, which is the Toronto Transit Commission in Toronto, one that was kind of the goal job, and, mm-hmm. and part of their process was to have your credentials, um, aside. like they wanted the, the report, um, but this individual had come as a refugee and wasn't able to get access to their documentation. When he heard the Gateway Program had launched, he reached out to us and said, you know, can you get it? Can, can I do this? we did the report he brought it to the TTC it was recognized and then he got hired um and so mm. um so like the, there is that piece so i think one of the big pieces is how do we advocate for the recognition of of the education
1: Uh, My name is Kitan Swed, I'm the Director of Operations at the Refugee Center. Today I have the pleasure of interviewing Beth Clark, Senior Director of Strategic Partnership and Global Bridge, World Education Services, also known as WES. The Refugee Center actually uses WES services to help refugees with their foreign credential recognition, so I'm very excited to discuss this topic with Beth today. Okay, Beth, so a couple of questions. Uh, I just want you first to uh, tell us a bit about yourself and what you do at WES. Thank you for
0: having me on your podcast. Um, My name's Beth, as you mentioned, and I work for WES, which is World Education Services. Uh, We're a social enterprise dedicated to helping international students, immigrants, and refugees achieve their education and career goals in Canada and the U.S. Um, We're best known for evaluating international academic credentials. Uh, That's our core business. Um, but I work on the social impact side of our work um, and leading the Global Talent Bridge team, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, the Global Talent Bridge team really works to make sure that individuals are able to be successful using their skills and experience when they come to Canada.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and I can
0: tell you more. I don't know how much to yeah. go into detail.
1: <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. And that's actually very interesting. And uh, we, as you, as I said previously, we do work a lot with uh, was uh, the West Gateway Program that you mm-hmm. guys created specifically for the new co- the refugee population. Mm-hmm. Uh, can, can you actually talk to us about the West Gateway Program and uh, what yeah, you guys try to do day. with that program? Yeah,
0: and actually the Gateway Program is a great example of how the Global Talent Bridge team works, actually. When I say that we're um, as a team, we work to see that people are able to be successful. One of the things that we you know, the, the approach that we take is, is, is looking at what's happening in the environment and in, in the sector um, and trying to figure out like what's working, what's not working. And so the gateway program is a, is a program that was born out of need um, back in 2015 uh, when the Syrian refugee crisis hit us. Um, at that time, we were seeing large numbers of Syrian refugees coming to Canada. Um, and many of them were professionals and had education and were uh, an experience and were living um, professional lives in their home country before um, war broke out and, and before they were displaced. And they had come to Canada and were wanting to resume their careers, um, but. Uh, in order to do that, found that they weren't able to meet the documentation requirements needed to have their c- academic credentials evaluated through our regular service, and so mm-hmm. we, you know, this was a need we were seeing. So we thought, well, we need to do something, right? We need to be able to respond, um, and that really caused us to look at our evaluation processes to see what was working, what wasn't working, but also what could we do to solve this issue. And and during that time, we created a methodology to look at. How could we um, verify or or evaluate the academic credentials of these individuals that were coming who didn't have full documentation? And that's actually how the program was born. So the gateway program um, we piloted first with the Syrian community, realized that it was working. We did a lot of work to support recognition during that time, meeting with uh, regulatory bodies, with educational institutions, with employers to talk about the methodology that we had Mm -hmm. designed um, and, and to see if they would accept our, our this, these gateway reports. I mean, at the time, they, were, they weren't they were called gateway. We branded, once we realized we could do it and it had value, um, yeah. and then we expanded it out to seven countries. So the gateway program now, um, since that time, we've actually served 3,000 individuals across the country from over seven countries now. Mm-hmm. And it's a program that we continue to look at and, and understand how do we serve? How do we help? We've got a great network of Uh, 50 partners across the country of which you are one as well Mm -hmm. Um, and and that is just a critical piece to make sure that we're reaching those people that need the service the most Um, and we continue to fight for the recognition of those those documents and we keep looking at where is the need so we've seen a huge uh, need with Afghan refugees in the last year with with Ukrainians as they've been coming as well Mm -hmm. We need access to this product too so Mm -hmm. it's something that we continue to look at where is the need how do we respond.
1: And and speaking on needs, like, specifically now, can you, I don't know if you know that question specifically, uh, but um, do you know, do you have an idea about the process you go through when trying, because you said you start with the Syrian community, Hmm? uh, and then you expand it to other, six other uh, countries, what, Hmm? do you know, like, is there a methodology or is there a specific uh, thing that happens for you to actually decide on adding a country or not? Like, what's the uh, criteria?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, And and it was, you know, we took on, it it was actually a big process in looking at, at, could we do this for other countries? So one of the things I will say at West, like we've been operating for close to 50 years now um, in both countries, which means we have um, a huge database, uh, you know, of academic credentials from around the world. Um, we've worked with more than 50,000 education institutions uh, and have experience with about 25,000 specific qualifications and have and, and worked with people with over 200 countries. So like uh, it's a big database that we work with. But that, we, what we realized is we could look back at um, credentials that we've seen mm-hmm. over these past 50 years. So all, you know, as I say, 25,000 credentials, yeah, yeah. we look at that. Um, and so we, we first started with one, trying to understand where there's need, because we actually, our regular process requires individuals to have documents submitted from institutions and, and, and verified by the, insti- the the institutions, whether that comes from in a sealed envelope or comes from the institution directly. Um, and that's a critical piece of of, providing a verified assessment, um, which is really valued by those who make the decisions. But when when the educational institution no longer exists, right, which happens in in cases where countries are war-torn or when people are persecuted and the the country or or the institution won't release the documentation, Mm -hmm. that provides a real challenge. Um, And so we know that people can't always get it directly from Mm -hmm. the institutions. Um, So one thing we, we started was desk research. First of all, looking at country circumstances. So looking at where are there legitimate known issues around documentation. So we started with desk research looking at um what was happening around the world, where there were where there were legitimate cases of people not being able to get documentation. Okay, I see. Then we looked through our own record, through our own um practices to say where do we because sometimes we can get documents from a country where other people can't, right? Mm-hmm. Um exactly. so it's like where or we know if push comes to shove, they can get it. We know that, you know, people may say I'm having trouble, but we know every day we're getting documents from those schools. I right? get it. So, yeah. so we look at where we are not getting documents from schools, where the schools are not cooperating, but not because they, you know, no, they legitimately it. can't. Yeah. Um, but we were, we, well, we did a lot of research on what are those circumstances that we know of that are documented to be able to say this is a real reason to not be able to get, you know, people legitimately can't. Yeah, um, I get it. And so that was, that was a big piece of that research is looking at. So, first of all, where are there issues? Where are people like, where do we know people can't get documentation? And where is there like, where do we have enough data to be able then in, um, uh, in uh, what's the word uh, without when, when we don't have that verified, do we still have enough data? to confidently say that we're able to assess what we are seeing
1: to maintain the validity of the document
0: exactly because we we look at so for example you know with the gateway program as long as somebody has a piece one piece of credible evidence that says that they they've done this then we look at that evidence and start matching in our database with where have we seen this what does that piece of evidence indicate that this person may have right i get it so that's why one of the things with the gateway, we always say we have to see the evidence to be able to say if we can do it. We will never say blanket statement, we can do it. Okay. But if you've got one piece of credible evidence, then that's enough for us to start the process and start looking at what's in our database that we can um, confidently say, if this, then that, right? Mm, I get um, it. And so it's all those factors that go into how we made the decision about these seven countries, but it's something that we monitor on an ongoing okay. basis. And so we know that... There are other countries where we are looking at now to say, do we need to add these other countries, these other circumstances within mm-hmm. specific countries where we know that there are challenges? So,
1: perfect. Okay. That's actually very good to know because, uh, like we've seen uh, from a service provider perspective here, like mm-hmm. uh, instance, we work a lot with the people on the ground and the emerging needs, the day to day stuff, the stuff that are happening in the world. Mm-hmm. And the, we see the immediate reflection on the ground.
0: Exactly. Yes.
1: And uh, when this is happening, we immediately go to the service providers, such as yourself, right, mm-hmm. and we tell them, yeah. hey, help us. There's this uh, big amount of uh, community yeah. that needs assistance in the sector, for yeah. example. And that's Here, such a,
0: a great point, because that's why that referral network is so important to us as well, because folks like you are on the ground and do mm-hmm. see firsthand where the need is. And, and, and you start seeing, oh, there's starting to be a big need out of this community. I mean. We saw we had Ukraine was on our list before with the annexation of Crimea. Yeah, you yeah, yeah, know, when this, when there are the recent Ukrainian crisis happened, we started to see many more coming through and different situations where the ENIC was functioning and then it wasn't, right? And so, and that's been needing a bit of a real time approach to can people get documents or not, right? So, so yeah, and that's where service providers on the ground have that ear and also let us know and reach out when there are circumstances to say, This person, I believe, really does
1: have a unique situation that needs to be looked at. Yeah, and and honestly, that that's that's the amazing uh, work that you guys do. we really appreciate this because uh, in the past, before making this partnership with you guys, I'm gonna be like uh, it was a very hard process because I remember the uh, all these engineers or even the. engineers order in Quebec, for example, right. or the nurses order, mm-hmm. right. or uh, the different uh, institutions that needed some some yeah. form of equivalency. Mm-hmm. We only, I, I don't know if in, uh, in other provinces, but in Quebec, we have something called the Evaluation Comparative mm-hmm. des Etudes, the Comparative Evaluation of Quebec. It's a mm-hmm. government-run mm-hmm. equivalency process, okay, mm-hmm. and it's the one situation in Quebec, and it's the one used to admit all of the international students under uh that are that are, that are wanting to go to uh, cegeps like colleges and things like that mm-hmm. so there exists an internal government run process in quebec for equivalencies but mm-hmm. it does it, and it's only focused on colleges not on uh, universities not on orders mm-hmm. not on uh, different uh, institutions that need equivalencies right mm-hmm. But what we've seen is that in that world, it's very limiting. Is that it's still not um, fulfilling the purpose it's saying it assists with. For mm-hmm. example, I'm a newcomer. I go and do the Quebec Cooperative. I go to employers. They don't accept it. Mm-hmm. Why did I do it? Okay? Mm-hmm. Like, and the thing is people start building dreams on these equivalency degree uh, certifications, mm-hmm. right? Oh no, no! I'll just get it, and then I'll be able to work. Yeah. I'll be able to enter the job uh, market. So right. this is mm-hmm. where we become as service providers, direct on the front, and mm-hmm. telling them, okay, chill. <laughs> let's let's go through different routes where you can actually c- get results. Yeah. Okay, right. so this is the, this is where sometimes we see if you want quicker results, go literally go and reapply again, study again. Do a three-year degree again you'll find more possibilities of go that than uh, doing the course. Do you get my point so this is one of the things we are sometimes resistant to do right so Can I, do I was think?
0: gonna say i feel like there's a lot to unpack
1: yes, <laughs> with, that, with
0: that comment um and i i can't speak specifically to 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 the the group the, or the the organization you mentioned in, in quebec um, but i will you know there's a few things that you said that i think are common across canada um and maybe i can i, I can speak uh-huh. a little more there um and I, and i will say you know i i'm i always so i actually started working as an employment counselor that's how i began mm-hmm. my career working okay. on the front lines so i i know the i, I said sort of, i know the experience that you're you're talking about well mm-hmm. um but I have to say, I, I always, it pains me when I hear, um, and, and it pains me as a Canadian, it pains me as somebody who's worked in the field when I hear people that have so much education being told to redo their education. Um, because I think it just does all of us a disservice. Um, and so, and, and I think the piece that I want to unpack a little is on the role of the evaluation, right? Because I think that's where sometimes there's a misconception around what does that do so when we talk about the academic credential evaluation is the the you know the report that you get as a result of the like the the evaluation is the process of comparing yeah yeah. you know the 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 education obtained in different countries and the report actually states what that equivalency would be in local terms right Mm -hmm. and the idea of putting it in local terms is so that um, um an organization or an institution that's using that report to um to decide if they're going to recognize the -hmm. education um, you know that recognition piece ultimately falls to those institutions to decide if they're going to accept the international or the the education gained abroad. So that happens. I mean, it happens in many situations, but it's typically around licensure. So meeting a licensure requirement. Um, It may be if somebody wants to continue on in their studies and further their education, um, that they um, that the school may want to see what studies have been done to date and, mm-hmm. and employers use that as well right and then where wow. I say okay like you know I, you know, for example, you know, we had an individual just to give a a specific case where an individual had been trying to apply for the TTC, which is the Toronto Transit Commission in Toronto, had one that was kind of the goal job and mm-hmm. and part of their process was to have your credentials um, aside. like they wanted the, the report, um, but this individual had come as a refugee and wasn't able to get access to their documentation. When he heard the gateway program had launched, he reached out to us and said, you know, can you get it? Can, what can I do this? We did the report, he brought it to the TTC, it was recognized and then he got hired. Um, and so, mm. um, so like the, there is that piece. So I think one of the big pieces is how do we advocate for the recognition of, of the education, rather than exactly. having the individual go through the process again, get the evaluation report, but then how do we continue to fight for that recognition? And I think that can happen in a few ways, right? I think like Wes, for example, through our social impact team, we can we do that work on a, on a regular basis. I mean, we, um, I mean, there's a few, so we like to say we're small, but mighty on the, uh, you know, in terms of the social impact team, we okay. have a team that works on policy advocacy, and we've done a lot of great work in Ontario this, this year, um, advocating for inclusion of internationally educated health professionals so that they would be able to practice while working towards licensure. So, that, and, and we've made great strides in that area um, this okay. year. My team also works with employers and local communities as well, advocating um, for, um, and, and well, advocating for inclusion, but doing that by way of saying, how do we help? And so we've actually been working with employers in communities across country to help them co-design and shape tools that help them understand and recognize and implement. So um, so we're working behind the scenes and we're working with so many partners across the country that are also engaged. Um, municipalities have been working on this, economic development offices, chambers of commerce. I mean, I think yeah, the I one thing that's really encouraging is that, it's no secret, I think, in Canada that we need to do better. Right? Like, I think it, it, as a country, we know, and I think like even new polls have shown that, that there's a lot of great sentiment towards immigrants and refugees and that this is the right thing to do. But yeah. I think we know that we need to do better. So the willingness can go a long way. Um, But I think it's also then how do we help immigrants connect into organizations like yours sooner in the process mm. that they can learn as well. You know, many, we still know that many don't ever connect to the services and the government spends, you know, $1.2 billion every year in supporting and, and even providing services before people come. So yeah. how do we make sure that people find out about them, get access to them, you know, so that they know, for example, if they've got their credentials assessed that you can put it on your resume that says, my credentials have been assessed as equivalent to a four-year degree in Canada, right? They're recognized, okay, that, okay. right? Like putting this on the resume, going to the interview. And when somebody says, like, oh, do you have Canadian experience? That they're comfortable to say, I have a lot of experience that is directly related to the product that you're selling. You know, I have a lot of experience working in this field through the and 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 talking confidently about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and being able to really not come at it from a deficit perspective, but just to say this is what I can add, and 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 it's it's doing the networking so that we change the narrative upfront, and all those strategies that that we just continue to chip away at.
1: I under 100, and I appreciate what you just said because uh, it's literally I think that's that's the key to this whole thing, making sure the uh, like the. The, the employers or the institutions that will employ it to recognize these documents
0: mm-hmm.
1: and to like literally uh like be able to accept the, the, yeah. the clientele that's coming with them
0: yeah.
1: a question on this mm. uh, so a, a couple of things like uh, to to actually I'm thinking I'm thinking on a couple of stuff here because I mean this is this is starting us into the the second part which is a bit the solution, that you guys proposed uh-huh. to fix the problem, which is specifically people coming here, as you said, sometimes doctors, I have met doctors of 10, 15 years of experience, unable to practice medicine, right? Uh-huh. Even, and not only that, engineers, doctors, uh, nurses, everything from every psychologist, graphic designers, everything, everything. So even though there's a need, there's a huge need in the country. Uh-huh. Numbers are staggering. I'm talking, for example, for Quebec. We're missing around 100,000 open positions mm-hmm. that are open and need to be filled ASAP, right? So it's not like there's no need. There's a need. The objective is to facilitate and develop uh, processes and among them, what you guys are doing. And actually, I've seen the program that you mentioned, which is the program of uh, going to employers, going to municipalities, mm-hmm. working on other project in Moncton, New Brunswick. Uh,
0: right.
1: And we've I- seen you there. Seen you, and now we're working with these employers. And no, lo and behold, Wes is already there working on facilitating the process. And like, and we appreciate that, basically. like honestly. Um, and the objective is to, uh, if we get these employers to accept West getaway program documentation, wow. would make our job way easier. And yeah. connecting the two, connecting the employees with the potential employers, so that they can immediately go and work point. That's mm-hmm. actually one of the objectives of that, working
0: mm-hmm. in Moncton. Right. Right?
1: And if that is already happening, maybe then what we need to do is work on a different scale in big cities. Because I've mm-hmm. seen that these small cities want people and they're willing to change the mm-hmm. standard, let's say, easier to work with. Mm-hmm. Like in big cities, where the competition for each job is huge, Right. You yeah, point? Like a competition in a small city, it's 40 people for one position, let's say. In a big city like Montreal, Toronto, each position has 200, 300, 400 applicants. Mm-hmm. So the competition is higher. Mm-hmm. And when you see a foreign degree, interna- an international degree, and uh, and a Canadian degree, they're going to go for the things I'm familiar with. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's actually could be a reason why these big uh, big corporations are avoiding risk. They're they're Mm -hmm. not the best risk taker, right? So maybe that's a potential reason why they don't go for the international thing. So the objective potentially would be to, sorry, I'm talking a lot, but the objective (laughs) is to equalize or bridge the difference between this Canadian or what this employer sees as valuable this Canadian and this internationally uh, recognized degree, right? See what's missing, What's actually the thing that they are looking for. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well,
0: you, you, I think one thing you really hit on the head that is again, one of those universal pieces. And I think it's just something, oh, somebody I I was, um, oh, I was in a, I was in a webinar the other day and somebody called name it to tame it. And I thought that was an interesting way of talking about it. But I think Mm -hmm. one thing to name is when we look at hiring, right? Um. It, it, you you meant you said right there that, you know, when you come to hiring, how do people, you know, I, oh, and now I'm not going to forget the words that you used, but there is no people um, often hire what they're familiar with and what they're comfortable right. with. Like it, it's an it's a natural bias that it, it's I a know. bias that human beings have. Oh my right? God, 100%. So we can name that as a bias. Um, but I think part of what we're also working towards, and I say we meaning all of those of us in the sector who do work with employers and employers themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of great employers that recognize that and do a lot of work and training in-house with their teams to say and do anti-bias training to help yeah. people understand where that bias can creep in and what are those strategies you can put in place to avoid that like making sure you have more than two people like if you're going to have somebody you know a, a, an immigrant or a refugee you always have you know more than two in a pool of any diversity right Having yeah. more than two in the hiring pool yeah. you don't want to if, if it's the one person in a in in, in a batch of five like their chance are just low right so there's having other people in the in the having a diverse hiring panel so you get different insights right there's always things we can do to try to counteract that bias but I think you know just to the your comment about yeah these are smaller communities and how do we work at the bigger scale that we see in big communities Mm -hmm. I mean one of the things in the bigger communities is there are many people doing this and I would say like a lot of the large corporations are actually doing some great work also Mm -hmm. in trying to address some of these biases I think they, uh, they understand, I think inherently, that it's part of the business proposition. I mean, Royal Bank of Canada, for example, published a study looking at the, the loss to the country in GDP, 50, 50 I'm gonna forget the exact number, but over $50 billion of, of, of lost productivity in terms of GDP for Canada every year, right? They, they know That's it correct. as a business driver and are trying to make those change, but the change happens at the level of every individual hiring manager, right? So how do we create those opportunities for those hiring managers to get to know this talent that we talk about and meet them on a day-to-day. And that's why I think the networking aspect is so critical because it allows people to form those relationships as humans where mentoring programs are so useful because it allows people to see each other as as individuals and understand That the differences are not so great. Um, but I will also say, you know, we are working also in the big cities and one of those approaches. One, uh, we had a really effective community um, campaign last year called hashtag Welcoming Economy for Refugees. Mm-hmm. It was a national campaign. We engaged 54 partners across the country. And engage business leaders and had high-profile business leaders participate in videos speaking about refugee talent and the and, and the value of refugee talent and highlighting programs and practices and, and, and resources that worked for them. And mm-hmm. it was an effort to reach other business leaders to open their eyes to the value that refugee talent uh, brings to this country. And that's being followed up actually on November 21st in Toronto with a hiring event. It's a coordinated hiring event for refugees to hire refugees. And we've got, um, I'm gonna, I now have lost track of where the number is at, but a number of, of large employers coming with actual jobs that they plan to hire either on the spot or grant second interviews that there's a real commitment to hire refugees at that event as a result of some of this work. So it is happening in the, in the large cities on the mm. large scale. Okay. The, the employment councils across the country also work with employers in cities like Vancouver and Calgary and Edmonton and Alberta, like so, there's there's so much that is actually happening, but uh, there's there's many employers to reach. That's the <laughs> so, thing. So like so it, uh, it's a it's a whole country effort.
1: One hundred percent, and 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 honestly, like I yeah, uh, I get that, and uh, so the, the actually, and for the November twenty first event, for example, would these refugees, for example, be people that went through the West Getaway program, right? Some they will, would.
0: some won't. Um, okay. They're all, they, they were, again, we really believe in partnering with those on the ground because West doesn't do the direct work ourselves. We yeah, work yeah, yeah, with yeah. partners. So we're working with a, a network of agencies that are on the ground. We're working with Refugee Jumpstart Talent to help in the coordination of this mm-hmm. as well. Um, and those partners who are serving refugees on a day-to-day basis will be referring and, and, and doing some of the screening against the jobs that are open as well so that People come for interviews with and knowing what what jobs they're interviewing exactly for, they're on the spot. Okay. So it's exactly. not just a come and pass your resume around. It's yeah, yeah, come and interview for a specific position.
1: That's actually very encouraging to watch you. And hopefully, hopefully, you'll do something of like this in, in Quebec. Yeah,
0: I'd well, yeah, no, we we would like to take the model to other communities next year. So uh we'll keep talking. One
1: hundred
0: percent. Like,
1: we will be very interesting to work on this.
2: Hey y'all, it's Alina and I'm here to get you in the know. Canada's Immigration Minister, Sean Fraser announced on Tuesday a plan to welcome 500,000 new permanent residents to Canada by 2025. This is part of the government's plan to stimulate the labour market, which is currently experiencing a shortage of workers. While this may provide positive pathways to citizenship for some, this plan has negative implications for government-assisted refugees. Due to the increase in intake of other immigration streams, Canada is planning to reduce the number of government-assisted refugees by a third by the year 2025. Now, you're in the know. I'll talk to you in a bit. Back to the episode.
1: Okay. Uh, another thing. Uh, um, uh, so you talked about the West process, the foreign degree process, how you get it recognized, the huge database that you have of previously existing uh, Degrees and transcripts with which you can compare new newer ones and so on to check for validity. Okay. Um, okay. Did you did you see like? And actually, you already talked about this. The limitations that you've seen, the potential limitations that you've seen with the reports provided, even if they're provided. If the hiring manager, for example, does not understand the process or does not agree with the reports, uh, once the Canadian for the. Uh, international degree for any reason, okay, that's, that's, we, we understood that this is one of the potential main limits, main higher, main barriers of expediting this process, right? So this question is, you already, you already covered this, but maybe we can go further and maybe potential ideas I might suggest here and tell me what you think potentially what we can work on. Okay, what steps do you feel need to be taken in order for credential recognition to be streamlined and facilitate the reintegration of newcomers into their education? Okay, so in in a sense that uh, what can we do to assist further in the process of facilitating uh, the reintegration of newcomers into their employment or education, right? So... You talked about the the process itself, the evaluation process itself, and that. So that's already the work being done, and you already mentioned the limits of that process.
0: Yeah,
1: Uh, but also, uh, I don't know. This is something that we've been thinking about honestly internally with NTRC, is to create uh, to actually convince if uh, the hiring managers are it's hard to it's hard to talk about this program for everyone. Mm-hmm. Convince them rather than talk to them about it in the sense yeah. that uh, convince them with a quality Canadian because they want to see the word Canadian on uh, a degree. Let's give them that. Mm-hmm. But which is a big project to be honest with you, but uh, a different kind of certification. Mm. So using the West certification and you have access to the Canadian degrees and you have access to the internationally recognize degrees. So you know the differences, you know what they're lacking, where they lack it, what they're, you, you know, differences between the two uh, degrees. Uh, and if there's any deficiencies in one versus the other, how can that, we can yeah. bridge maybe that I, gap? I can,
0: I can speak about that and maybe even talk about competency assessment
1: a little 100%. bit. 100%. So exactly. That's exactly. Just what I'm jump in. in. Go for it. Exactly. That's all.
0: Um, yeah. So I, you know what, I think when we talk about you know, where, where, where is there still room to do? And how do we help employers understand the credentials that internationally educated uh, folks bring? You know, there, there's, I think we've made great progress. Um, and I think we have to understand that employers do want to understand, right? They they, they see the value and want to want to hire and, and, and want to um, be able to take advantage of this talent source. So I think it's, how do we help? And when I say we, I mean, those of us who work in this space, but, but immigrants, those of us who are hiring managers, how do we mm-hmm. share what we know and what's working what whatnot? And I think there's really great work being done. Um, the academics are part of that conversation and, and that's why this process was even set up back in mm-hmm. the in, in early 2000, because we knew it was needed. But I think one of the things that I will say from my experience working with, I, I've worked with employers for the last 20 years as well, um, mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that I often hear is is also, yeah, and, and so academics, yes, that's helpful, but how do I understand the person has the skills to do the job? Right. And that's where I think there's a lot of great work being done uh, right now. And I think it's it's I'm encouraged by what I'm seeing. Um and I think there's a real place for competency assessment, right? And and, and as a tool. Um and, and also just In terms of how do we support that in our everyday practice as well. Mm So, I mean, as part of our work at West, we've actually piloted some AI enabled competency tools to try to learn and see how that can support. And there are great tools out there Um, and more being developed all the time Um, and and, and improvements to software as well. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's something that certainly we look at. But it's also how do we talk to employers so when, when we have job, we have a, a network of job developers across the country as well, when they're working with employers and placing employers. How do they have conversations um, around competency based hiring right how how to write job descriptions in a way that really gets to the competencies needed for the job, but then how do we hire for that. Um, and we did create an employer playbook this year as well, and it's digital, it's on the website. We have a national version, but we also created local versions um, in the communities that we were working with, uh, Moncton, mm-hmm. Waterloo, Durham as well, um, to look at how do we support employers in some of these practices? And, and how do we also then work also with immigrants so they're able to speak to their skills from a competency perspective mm-hmm. so that the employer is listening with you know for the competencies, <laughs> And the individual is speaking about their competencies as well. So, I mean, there are tools, yes. And I think, yeah, those are developing and we're looking at those and, and, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of work being done in those space. There's organization, the Immigrant Employment Council in BC has a tool called FAST that helps people use a competency based approach to say, where am I? Do Like, where, where what skills do I have? What other skills do I need to be able to pass licensure tests and then mm-hmm. fill in gaps? So you don't have to start from scratch. You can actually look at where I am. These are the specific gaps I need to fill and then go forward.
2: So they're
0: doing that work now more across the country as well. So there's great tools being done, but I think there's still a lot at the individual level that we can do too to say, how do I talk about my skills from a situation, action, result perspective? I mean, it's very Mm -hmm. old school, but it works, right? To say, this is the skill that I've used. This is how I've used and how it's been effective because... That storytelling in an interview allows an employer to understand, oh, yeah, that's the same thing as I do here. You know, it sort of demystifies what is unfamiliar. And one thing I'm going to use, and I think, I'm not sure if we were on air when you said this or or not, but, you know, we talk about foreign credential recognition, and that's a conversation that I'm trying to change as well. And I just, I'll, I'll mention it here, because I think we also need to start talking about international credential evaluation instead of foreign um, because foreign puts in somebody else's mind that something is different. We're not doing ourselves a favor <laughs> by saying that. So you know, again, as a sector, mm-hmm. let's talk about international credential recognition, mm-hmm. right? Because these are international credentials. They are not they're, They like they shouldn't be foreign. They should be known. It's part of the world, the global world we work in now, even more so um, in the last couple of years.
1: Uh, no, I, I like that. I like that point because. Uh... Whether we like it or not, there is subconscious biases that exist in yeah. the day to day. So of why, why
0: plant the seed? Exactly,
1: <laughs> literally before we like we try, it's a huge block to the problem before we even start. Exactly, I, I agree. And that's
0: why I think, like you know, for any like walking into an interview, don't like start from the positive. Just this is what I have. This is this is this is what I've been doing. This is similar. This is what it looked like. This is you know. Okay. How do we make things familiar? As opposed to different,
1: one hundred percent, exactly. Focus,
2: yeah, I like that. It's me again. I'm here to tell you what's up at TRC. Starting this Friday, the Refugee Center is hosting an Art Hive from 11:30 a.m. to 130 p.m. This will be a recurring event at the same time on every Friday except the last Friday of the month. So mark your calendars and head over to the refugeecenter.org to sign up now. That's it for now, and back to the episode.
1: Okay, and um, and actually, and this is something that we get us questioned a lot about this. Um, and this is actually what, and you talked about this a while back, is in your opinion, do you feel that there is legitimacy to the strict way that the... Uh, uh, the, the, these decision-making bodies approach the evaluation of rent mm-hmm. Is there a legitimacy set up? Mm-hmm.
0: You know, it, I, I will say, you know, I think that there is a legitimate, they, they, I, okay, so when we talk about, like, mean, we're talking about many people, right? Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. When We talk about all these schools and, and schools, um, licensing bodies, employers, many different groups, um, And so I think legitimacy, you know, as a blanket statement is tricky. But I think the thing we have to recognize is when we're talking about credential recognition, it's very nuanced because we're looking at how do you balance fair access to trades and professions and fair access to employment, to education, with also balancing public safety, managing risks, right? Because depending on who in these Um, groups you're looking at like there is a liability there can be a liability (laughs) as Mm -hmm. well involved right and so so that's why these regulations exist that's why these processes exist to try to ensure that an individual performing a a job that could be dangerous to public that that Mm -hmm. they have that they are able to meet a criteria Uh, to ensure the public safety right so it's 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 you know, I think in that sense, like that has to be public safety is legitimate as a 100%. legitimate concern. The devil's in the details, right? It's how do you balance the act, the fair access, the transparency, with managing that, that uh, managing the risk, and, and, and ensuring public safety, and, and it's it's a very fine balance, and it's something mm-hmm. that I think people do want to get right and processes do get reviewed. We have fairness commissioners and a number of problems that are looking at this and and trying to look at uh, like, you know, Quebec has a fairness commissioner as well. Mm -hmm. And they're looking um, to say, like, are we doing our due due diligence? Like, are these entities um, creating fair, transparent processes, responding in time? And so there are, there's a lot trying, we're trying to do better, but yeah, there's always room to improve. I Um, And I think just the fact that, know and i look at like how much money gets invested in trying to solve these problems there is real interest in solving these you know um but but it's uh it's nuanced and it's complex and it's not one entity right like even if you look at a profession there's the regulators there's the 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 unions there's the licensing boards there's the 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 any kind of legislative pieces that that fall into play like there's so much the associations <laughs> like there's so many players and they all are managing very specific aspects to this too so it's complex
1: and you're right like in that in that sense you're not only working with the order you're working with the union of that order you're working with the whole infrastructure the within every yeah. single institution the colleges, or one single so. sector there's multiple yeah. uh, layers there's, of that yeah.
0: depending on the industry there's so many things involved and, and they're they're legitimate right like they mm. all have a place in, in what it takes to function. So so I think, and that's where I think by working in partnership, To so to your question about what we can do, it's it's how do we bring bo- the right voices to the table to look at how do we find the solutions and try to um, address issues and discuss issues, right? Like I think one of the things, we can't demonize any one group, right? Because it's, we need to have the productive conversations that allow us to move forward and, and figure out where is there common ground? What can what you know? Either how do we remove barriers that can be removed? You know, and how do we work within? And sometimes that's just building awareness or training or or or, or finding the solutions to to work with what what needs to be in place. So, not uh, a uh, probably a perfect answer to your question.
1: No, no, but I mean honestly, it, it, honestly, it, it's a very like uh, rational, logical answer, answer to because this is the reality on ground, whether we like it or not. This is the reality on the ground, mm-hmm. and what else can we do? Are we mm-hmm. gonna not participate or access to that order that we don't know? It's mm-hmm. it's the process. Let's play the game, yeah. And if anything, let's uh, yeah. try to change the game if it's when possible, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 maybe tweak the game if we right. can't change it, right?
0: Yeah. And look at yeah. how do we advocate for those changes, right? And 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 how do we continue to work with the the coalition of the willing and 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 that does and just keep at it.
1: And uh, on that, like, uh, do you feel, uh, because you mentioned, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm a solution, I want to find the potential solution. Like, is there, because you talked about uh, FAST, the program in BC, right? Mm. You talked about uh, the existing something of a training process that could be developed to potentially bridge that gap or tweak the game in the sense that when this hiring manager receives a document in front of his a CV in front of his, on his desk, mm-hmm. they'll see, trained in Canada. So immediately, the uh, the, uh, the person, like, you know, he has a degree in engineering, mm-hmm. but he got a training in engineering in Canada, which means mm-hmm. he went through the bridging process, okay, of getting into Canadian standard or understanding the Canadian laws, and then entered the job market. So yes. I'm talking here specifically about that bridge system, whether it's trainings, yeah. whether it's certifications, whether it's something like that.
0: I think yeah, and and I'm um just want to be clear. I mean, I don't. I think with I think bridge training is great because bridge training or where there are programs that help an individual identify where there may be gaps so that they can take a specific training to fill in. So, for example, years ago I, I oversaw a program that was for internationally educated um internationally educated professionals in the field of architecture um one of the issues that they found to getting licensed was they wouldn't have ontario building code right or that's exactly wood wood frame construction right depending where you're in the world you may not have a background of wood frame construction which we use frequently right so so it was a matter of identifying those gaps and then just specific training in those areas to fill the gap so that the continue. I, I don't think we need to say person has to be trained in, in Canada or Ontario, but they have to be able to be at the standards, right? Better I get if, that. if the profession has standards, right? So, yeah, so yeah. I think it's a matter. And then that's where those bridging programs are great because they look at pinpointing where are potential gaps? How do you fill in the very small piece that may be mm. needed so that like
1: the person can continue. So, so uh, and I like that. Instead of redoing your whole program, you do the things that are missing from your program,
2: mm. pretty much. And
1: exactly. have you seen? Have you seen like uh, this working successfully in other locations? Like is this is this being tried? Is this well, the fast program? Getting-
0: no, this is um this was a, a bridging program and and it's still in existence now. I mean, I, w- I was managing in 2008. I I hate to admit how long ago that was because it gives <laughs> away a bit of my age. But uh, but uh, there are, there have been successful bridging programs operated across the country for quite some time and serving people in specific occupations, right? So, okay. so they okay, do okay. exist, and there are great examples of that uh, from across the country.
1: Okay, that's good to know. That. Okay, okay. Um, See, we're seeing that. To answer you. The- Okay, yeah, down to the uh, mini. Uh, so um, I'm just going to do it the normal outro and then you, uh, whatever it is. Okay. So thank you so much, Miss uh, Beth. I'm going to repeat that one second. Yeah. yeah. Um, stop, repeat. Okay. Uh, thank you. God damn it. One second. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, one second thank you ms beth for uh, accepting this invitation today really appreciate you coming okay and we i really enjoyed this discussion and hopefully for more open discussions between us and you because i really appreciate the work that you do and uh, i see a lot of potential and honestly i think this is the biggest g- problem that the next 5 to 10 years has to be fixed to actually get canada back into like uh, to meet its internal demands not even talking about its international demands right mm-hmm. So thank you so much and we really appreciate uh, you being with us. Uh, do you have any th- any last words you want to say? Yeah.
0: Well, well, just thank you for having me on your podcast. It's been a pleasure to be here today. I kind of feel like I could chat on <laughs> for quite some time, but but I appreciate you opening the conversation because I think there it is a conversation that we need to continue having. Um, I think it's important to understand the context of the many players, and I think creating the space for for people to understand all the all the various moving parts and and for us to come together around. What needs to keep working? How do we keep working on this? How do we keep moving it forward? It is something that is going to take everyone at the table. So I appreciate you creating the space, and and just want to also appreciate your partnership in the Gateway Program as well, 100%. because that program doesn't uh, take place without partners such as the Refugee the Refugee Center of Montreal as well. Yeah. And being a constant advocate with with your your partners, with your community, and with those that you serve. So so, thank you for for being a, a, oh, a, a ally and partner. And happy to have further dialogue and, and and looking forward to more partnership.
1: Perfect, perfect. That's actually amazing. Looking forward to working with you in the different provinces.
0: Yes. Okay. Exactly. Hopefully
1: soon. Thank, so thank you so much. Thank you so
0: much.
1: Thank you. Uh, Conclusion. Uh, Well, that concludes this episode of Point of Entry. Thank you so much, Ms. Clark, for being with us today. To continue learning more about the Refugee Center, you can visit our website at therefugeecenter.org, and you can follow us on our social media platforms, including Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. Stay tuned for our next episode, and thank you so much for listening. That's That's the conclusion. Is it good? All good?
2: Yeah, perfect.
1: Perfect, okay. Uh, the uh, welcome the intro now. Hi everyone and welcome to season two of Point of Entry. Thank you. God damn it. Repeat. Hi everyone and welcome to season two of Point of Entry. Thank you. God damn it. Repeat. Hi everyone. God damn. It. Hi everyone and welcome to season two of Point of Entry. Thank you for, con- for con- God damn it. Hi everyone and welcome to season two of Point of Entry. Thank you for continuing to travel alongside us. Let me read one first. One second.
2: <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> so that's trying
1: to Hi, hi everyone. <laughs> Welcome to Cent 2. Thank you for continuing to travel alongside us, the Refugee Center. As this among us? Thank you for continuing to travel alongside the Refugee Center. As we guide you through the resettlement process, implement and in the inner working of grassroots organization in Okay. Okay. And the Hi, everyone, and welcome to season two of Point of Entry. Thank you for continuing to travel alongside the Refugee Center as we guide you through the resettlement process in Canada and the inner workings of grassroots organizations here in Montreal. Stay on board as we explore the experiences and challenges faced by many newcomers to Canada. In season two, we are continuing to do so with the help of our alternating hosts, an incredible lineup of amazing guests. We hope you are as excited as we are to continue along this journey. Thank you so much for coming along for the ride.